0: Well, welcome one and all. I was listening to Garrett talking about g- going to Uganda and the first time I went with Pastor Craig back in uh, 2004 or something, we had our first Uganda Pastors Conference, which is just a, a metal roof and a dirt floor lot, right? So you have this Pastors Conference. And Pastor Paul was the host pastor. We had about 30 pastors from the neighborhood. And uh, he would come out and this was his greeting every single time. You are almost welcome. But it just sounded like we're almost welcome. So it became this joke. Tomorrow we'll be all the way welcome. But the way he ran it together instead of you are all most welcome. It, you are almost welcome here tonight. And I want to extend that to you tonight. <laughs> Next Saturday night, you will be all the way welcome, but tonight you are almost welcome. Hey, turn in Genesis. Chapter 27 for our message, Family Drama. If you need a Bible, raise your hand, and our sweet servant, Lynn, will get one of those to you. Keep your hand up in the air. We're going through Genesis, the book of beginnings, the beginning and the end. When you contrast the book of uh, Genesis with the book of Revelation and see everything that's lost in this fallen world in Genesis and then everything at the end of Revelation that is restored... And as we're going through this, we look at a family drama that unfolds in chapter 27 of the book of Genesis. And all of you in this room, if your heart is beating, you have had family drama, right? You've had family drama when you are young, older, middle-aged, whatever. Maybe you're having some family drama going on with the the grown kids, the in-laws, the grandkids, whatever it might be. In a fallen world, our Selfish ambition, our desires to color outside the lines, if you will, of God's will, creates a lot of conflict that we have. and it comes from being dis- dishonest, lying to one another because our motives are less than pure, and like most kids, family drama, when you have teenagers, usually surrounds your teenagers. They're, uh, we were lying, cheating, stealing, conniving, little twerps and uh, so you, you're dishonest with your folks, then it finally comes out in the wash, what was going on, and there's a big disappointment. You know, when you're lied to, people are disappointed. You lose trust. But in this scenario, dad is outside of God's will, there's a son outside of God's will, there's a mom who thinks it's her job to fix it all and help God out. You ever felt that way, moms? You're going to help God out. And and also a son that's just reluctant, kind of getting shoved into the middle of it. There's four different parts of this puzzle. There's hearts and motives and desires, and yet there's going to be a big disappointment. And you might be sitting here just in a pile of disappointment tonight with what's going on with your family drama. If there's anything about Genesis that should encourage you is that you're no different than the folks that the Bible's writing about. If you think you got drama, just read and study the life of Jacob, and you're going to be extremely comforted because you haven't had this kind of drama in your life, I promise you. It became the thing of folklore in our family that, you know, family members would pop off with this, uh, a pheasant hit the windshield, and we would all bust up laughing because my cousin I had this old Chevy, uh, 67 Chevy pickup, blue pickup with a white top. And uh, I drove it my senior, uh, junior and senior year of high school and afterwards. And my mom came out one morning and the windshield was broke on the passenger side. And so I get up, I'm hungover, I'm probably 17, something like that. And we've been out partying all night long. And she's like, what happened to your truck? And and I said, oh my, I hit a pheasant. (laughs) A lot of pheasants in our neck of the woods. And... uh, (laughs) And my brother, <laughs> my brother comes out of the other room to out me because that's the pleasure of being a brother, is to watch your siblings get in trouble and to rat on them, right? And so he comes kind out, of "Oh, mom, he didn't visit. Ricky's lying. Please don't call me Ricky. But my older brother, Ricky's lying." My cousin was with me, and my brother, who was outing me, had been in a big brawl in the bar, and my cousin was so excited after the fight, he was in my truck, and we were driving off, and he was acting like he was my brother in this fight, and he, actually, he had a cast on his hand from uh, hitting a tree. That's a different story, and, <laughs> and, and he broke the windshield from the inside of the cab accidentally. He didn't mean to hit it, but you know his depth perception's off because he's kind of messed up. And so when somebody's lying, it's like, oh, it's a pheasant, <laughs> kind of becomes the, uh, uh, the tale. Unless you're on the inside of the family, you wouldn't know what that joke's about. Check this out, and it's, uh, it's not a pheasant story. It has a lot more implications because this is the family, think about it, that God's gonna build an entire nation to bless the world with the, the Messiah, the Savior. And this is his family tree. It's not a pretty picture, a bunch of fallen people that God uses to bring about a perfect savior for you and I. We pick it up in Isaac's plan in verses one through four of chapter 27. Now it came to pass when Isaac was old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see that he called Esau, his older brother, older son, excuse me, and said to him, my son, and he said, here I am. Then he said, behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and make me savory food such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. There were two aspects to the oldest son's legacy from his father. First of all, he got the birthright to be the patriarch and the leader of the family, and meant you were the spiritual leader, and meant that you were the family leader, you are going to be the patriarch, the pillar of the family. And it was really a, a blessing of God that you would have this, this birthright to continue a godly legacy. But we found out in the earlier chapter that Esau despised his birthright. It meant nothing to him. He had no heart for God. He's a profane man, according to Hebrews. It it means that you're outside of the threshold of the temple. He's an ungodly guy, but he was his dad's boy. He was a man's man. He was a hunter. He was a man of the the outdoors. He was hairy. He was covered from head to toe. I mean, the guy looked like a a hairy monster. Even at his birth, he's covered with the hair. They said, what should we call him? They named him hairy. That's what Esau means. And it's red and hairy. So he cares nothing about these things. But God had declared to Rebecca, the mom, and no doubt this was the family legacy, many years before when the two children were struggling inside of her, that the older is going to serve the younger. Now, Jacob took advantage of Esau because he was hungry and said, sell me your birthright and I'll give you this bowl of beans, which he did. He sold his birthright for a bowl of beans. Jacob didn't deceive him. He just simply said, Hey, you, you hungry? Here you go. This is the price. In that situation, Esau it says, despised his birthright. But the promise had been there from the children being in Rebekah's womb. The older is going to serve the younger. Isaac knows this, dad knows this. But because he's his favorite, he decides he's gonna bless him anyway and give him the blessing of the firstborn because maybe his extreme love for his son will trump God's providential plan with his son. You know, sometimes we think, moms and dads, that our plan for our kids is actually better than God's plan. It's amazing how many parents ran up the flagpole, their child's own performance to achieve the dreams that they have for them, rather than looking to God for what God's goal is for them, God's calling on their life is. And Isaac here decides to color outside the lines, you know, maybe God will just forget about his whole plan. Maybe, maybe I know best for my child and how many parents I've met that they just, they're convinced they know what's best for their kids. Now, the child doesn't want what the parent wants. And it's apparent God doesn't want that. But they're stubborn. They are convinced. And here Isaac is. Now, the thing that really he loves is for him to go out and get a deer, cook the venison. He just loves the savory food. Now, you go out there and kill something, son. You're my boy. Go get something. Come back and make that, oh, man, that incredible venison dish you make. And bring it here. And once I eat your food, I'm going to lay on a blessing of the firstborn on you like nobody's business. Well, his eyes were dim. According to the chronology of things, Isaac now is about 130 years of age. He's going to live to be 180, so he's got another 50 years to go. But he's about 130 Is probably the cataracts that come, you know, you get these cataracts, now they remove them, so your vision can be great, but cataracts comes, and and he can't see real clearly, and you know, it's, once you get to that age, it's like every time I talk to my dad, my dad's 85. Every time I'm, I don't know how long I am for this world, son. You know, we have that conversation, every single conversation. He's healthy, he's fit, he's sharp as a tack, serving the Lord at the church three days a week. But I, this, this might be the last phone call we ever have. This, this is the one. <laughs> but Rebecca overhears this plan. So she got a plan of her own. Dad's got his agenda. Now in verse 5, now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to her Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son... Obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock, bring me from there two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father that he may eat it and that he may bless you before his death. Mom's got a different plan, and she's going to deceive her beloved husband. Now, how does that make you feel if your wife, men, is going to lie to you and deceive and act like the boy that you want to bless is actually not that boy at all? You see, everybody's got their own agenda in this. And the beautiful thing I wanna tell you from the beginning is God providentially oversees it that he can take the big fat mess you and I make and still accomplish his plans. Isn't that good news? It's a good, it's a good thing that God can overrule in our own failures, so she has this plan. But obviously, Jacob's reluctant. Esau wants the blessing, though he's already sold the birthright. So the blessing and the birthright go together. He thinks he's going to get the blessing. It's with... It, which is exactly what he wants. He wants, he's an ungodly guy, he doesn't want the birthright, which has to do with a relationship with God, but he wants all the blessings of God. Do you know people like that? They want all God's blessings on their life, but they don't want to serve God. They don't want to surrender to God. They don't want to walk with God. Even the biggest heathen dog, you ask them, where are you going to go when you die? They say, well, I hope to heaven. Now, they don't want to go They don't want to walk with God now. They don't want to read his word. They hate Christians. They don't want to go to church. They hate the morality of it. And you ask them, hey, you've never had anything to do with God. Why in the world would you want? Well, the alternative is not very good. Right? They believe there is a hell. They have this inkling that they're going to go there. And they would rather not. If they had their druthers, they would rather not. So how many people want the blessing of God without a walk with God? That's Esau. Isaac thinks, he's my boy, I want him to be the favored one. I know God has a different plan, but maybe God will relent and let me give this blessing to the boy. Rebecca, Jacob is her favorite, so she wants not only her favorite to get that blessing, but God had told her he the older would serve the younger, so she knows God's plan. But did you know that walking by faith means you don't have to scheme? God would work this out, Right? I don't have to make it happen. If God puts something in our heart and really writes it on our heart, we don't have to scheme. Just sit back and watch God work. He's gonna get it done. He doesn't need your help in the process unless he asks you to help, and that's a different story. But Jacob's reluctance in verse 11, Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. How do you like that? My brother's a hairy man, and I am smooth-skinned man. Perhaps my father will feel me and shall seem to be a deceiver to him. I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. And I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Well, dad's going to know, right? I know his eyesight's gone, but he's going to call me over there because probably their voices are very distinct. Now, my voice and my older brother's voice, if you hear us on the phone, is almost identical. My mom couldn't tell us apart. Our voices were so close. Even uh, my brother was the pastor over our school that we had started along with our church. And, And when the young kids in the hallway would hear my voice, they would immediately think I was Pastor Scotty, my brother. And so our voices were very close together, but no doubt their voices are very distinct because he's worried that he's gonna be found to be a deceiver. And if he walks in and dad says, hey, let me feel your arm, and unless it feels like a gorilla, you're not Esau. Well, how are we going to get around this? I mean, it seems like a really jacked up family drama. That's a costume party because look what Rebecca says in verse 13. But his mother said to him, let your curse be on me. Don't worry about being cursed, Jacob. If your dad wants to curse something, I'll step up and say it was all my fault. "'Only obey my voice, go, get them for me.' "'And he went and got them and brought them to his mother, "'and his mother made savory food such as his father loved. "'Then Rebekah took the choice clothes "'of her elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, "'and put them on Jacob, her younger son. "'And she put the skins of the kids of the goats "'on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. "'Then she gave the savory food and bread.' which he had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he's covered with these goat skins on his arms and on the backside of his neck. If his dad reaches around him to grab him, to give him a kiss on the cheek, to bless him, and he's gonna feel this fur. Jacob comes in, in verse 18. So he went in to his father and said, my father, and he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? You see, he's already asked Esau to go. Go get your food you're gonna come back, I'm gonna bless you. So when he comes in and he says, father, he says, here I am, who are you, my son? He immediately knows, that's not Esau, right? My hearing hasn't gone, only my eyes. Verse 19, Jacob said to his father, I am Esau. Now he's lying, he's got to, he's got to go all in. Isn't that the pits with deception when we're deceiving people we know and love? Whether you're a twerpy teenager lying to your parents, lying to their parents, Lying to everybody. Like Abraham Lincoln said, the problem with being a liar is you have to have a really good memory. You have to remember what you told everybody. Now, if you're, if you're truthful, you just, you know, well, this is what happened. You don't have to have a good memory. You just tell the truth. But he says, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done just as you told me. Please arise, sit, and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly, My son. Because he just went out and butchered a goat. (laughs) And so hunting, if you've ever hunted, it takes some time to accomplish those things. So he's suspicious of his voice. He's suspicious of the timing. And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me, and now he brings the Lord into his big fat lie. That's the worst of the worst. When I start saying, yeah, the Lord's involved with this too. So now I'm embarrassing myself, embarrassing my mother because I relented to her plan, and now I'm embarrassing the Lord and bringing him into it because oftentimes you have to double down, right? Throw the Lord's name in there. God's a part of this. I swear on my mother's grave. You bring swearing into things, whatever it might be, to convince of your lie. In verse 21, Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son, My son Esau are not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and he said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And then he said, are you really my son Esau? He feels his hands, he hears his voice, He probably just starts getting confused in his own mind because he can't see good. He's like, oh no, the eyes are gone and now the the hearing's gone. I can't even distinguish between my two sons. Are you really my son? I am, he says in verse 25. He said, bring it near to me and I will eat of my son's game so that that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me my son, and he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said. Here, as he draws close, he comes to give his dad a kiss and he he smells his clothing, he smells his son, his belly's filled with the good food and even though all the way through, every fiber inside of Isaac was saying, this is not Esau's voice, this is not Esau, this is is not right somehow. But he wants to trust because the people that we love, we want to trust, even inside when we know something's wrong. How often a husband or a wife will share with me, I knew for years my spouse was having an affair deep down inside, but I could just never bring myself to say it out loud. They knew when it all came out, something was wrong. There's some deception going on. You feel it deep in your gut. There's lies, there's you know, things that are, that are happening, this, this deep sense of, and, and who wants to believe it, right? Who wants to believe that the people they love have harmed them? Who wants to believe that? Nobody. We wanna believe the best about the people we love. Isaac wants to believe the best, but he finally relents. He's like, all right. I don't know if in his mind, he finally just says, I don't know what's going on, but here comes the blessing. Surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you cursed be let cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be those who bless you he now gives this blessing this prosperity this authority and this security on his blessing uh, up on his son and which is such a beautiful thing for fathers to bless their children in such a way maybe it doesn't have to be some kind of official ceremony this seemed to be in a very official patriarchal ceremony but to give your, your son or your daughter a hug, let them know how proud you are of them and what you want to see God do in their life, how you want them, the Lord to prosper them with the, the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, meaning may you have plenty of moisture for your crops and your cattle and all those things. May you have great harvests of grain and wine. May you Uh, May people serve you. May God grant you success so that you gain authority so that you can be the kind of leader that God wants you to be. And if anybody, you want the security to know that when people curse you, that curse is going to turn around on them because God has your back. And if people bless you, then those people will receive that blessing. This is the same blessing that Abraham was promised. When people bless you, they'll be blessed. When they curse you, they'll be cursed. It was given to Isaac and now he gives it to Jacob who also is gonna walk in this same blessing. Who of us do not want to experience blessing, prosperity, authority, and security in our lives? And who of us does not want those four things for our own children, for our own sons and daughters and our grandkids? We want the rich blessing of God upon their lives. And as we pray for them and we minister to them, what a blessing it is to watch them grow up in that blessing. When my kids were growing up, I've shared with you before that my wife and I would take turns each night. We would pray uh, for our children. And I had a special song and prayer for my son and a special song and prayer for my daughter. And this is the way we tucked them in every night with the blessing of God upon their life and the goodness of God upon their life. And now in their 30s and seeing them with their families and seeing the blessing on their life and the goodness and and to hug them and kiss them and even having that joy to this day, you just want the very best. You just want the very best for your kids. Now I get to do it with my grandkids, you know, to have that blessing upon them. And I want them to experience the blessing of God in their lives. This is a prayer for a son, All of us can be praying for our sons and our daughters and our grandchildren for that blessing. And this blessing, I want you to know, was potent and powerful because all of these prayers came true. Because when we pray in faith, it moves the hand of God and nothing motivates a parent like a prayer that is towards their kids. A prayer that is longing for God to get a hold of your kids. Even when your kids are wayward, don't you, you, you go to sleep at night thinking about them. You wake up in the morning thinking about them, thinking about your kids. They're not walking with God. Oh, God, go after my kids. And you're praying, and praying, Lord, bring them to the end of themselves so they'll finally look up and say, Jesus is Lord. That's the goal. Whatever pursuits they're pursuing, that they would come to a dead end and they would be boxed in. There's nowhere to turn except to look straight up and see the Lord. John the Apostle said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. And you and I have no greater joy than to know our kids are walking with God. It's the greatest joy of our life. I don't care how much money they're making. I used to tell my son, son, if you grow up, and you want to be the cool dude on the garbage truck because it hangs out the side on the back? You know, they go along, they to throw all those things, and now they have arms that put in the, uh, kind of automatically or uh, hydraulically. But it used to be the guy just hangs on the back of the truck, and then he throws all his stuff in the back. I'm like, I saw him one day and I'm talking to my son. I said, son, if you wanna be that guy, that's your dream, (laughs) that's your dream job. I said, I don't care, I don't care what you do. I just want you to love Jesus because if you love Jesus, everything else is just gonna work out. It's gonna work out. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else is gonna be cake. But what we do as families say, you need this degree, you need to make this much money, you should buy this house, you should have this. It's like, you got everything backwards pray for them that they walk with God. He'll take care of all that business. Who cares? But once again, we run up the old flagpole. We're we're living vicarious through our kids. You know, this is my boy. This is what he does. This is what his degree is. This is how much money he makes. This is how big his house is. It's like, who cares? Does he love God? Is he a nice person? That would be a good one to start with. You know, some people raise kids that are very successful and they're jerks. We wanted to raise kids that would actually be decent human beings to other people. How about that? That's a great goal, don't you think? (laughs) Somebody that loves God and is a decent person? Well, we see Esau's devastation now because, verse 30, now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau's brother came in from his hunting. He also had made savory food and brought it to his father and said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game. Let your soul, may, that your soul may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? <laughs> so he said, I'm your son, your firstborn Esau. What do you mean who I am? Is dementia setting in? I know the eyes are gone, so dementia setting in. You sent me out to kill something, I went and killed something, I cooked it, here I am, I'm, I'm here for the blessing, pop. But Esau's stuffed, I mean, excuse me, Isaac is stuffed. He just ate all the food that Jacob prepared, and Jacob deceived him, and Jacob got the blessing. So here comes Esau, day late, the dollar's short. Verse 33, then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, who, where? is the one who hunted game and brought it to me. I ate all of it before you came and I have blessed him and indeed he shall be blessed. It says Isaac trembled exceedingly. (sighs) In a rage that he had been duped by Rebekah. In a rage that he had been duped by Jacob. And all the way through it, he said, I knew it. I knew it deep down. He questioned him four or five times. Like, is this, are you really my son Esau? Can get close. I want to feel, see, see if you got those hairy arms. At every turn, and yet he was duped, was a, like a blind, dumb old man. And he is in a rage, trembling in anger. Imagine What the next family meal is gonna be like together, right? Rebecca deceived. Jacob lied. Now, here's Esau. But Esau, he's gotta gotta salvage something out of this. He's, He's gotta pull something out of this. Just to repeat it in verse 33. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly and said, Who, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? I ate all of it before you came and I have blessed him and indeed he shall be blessed. He doesn't revoke the blessing. It's not like he prays now, everything that I prayed, I take away. No, he gave that blessing. It's almost, it's almost like that, that blessing was an irretrievable gift of God onto Jacob even though he deceptively obtained it so that Isaac can't take it back. He gave it and that is it. Verse 34, when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me, me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright and now look, he has taken away my blessing. And he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? My brother's always ripping me off. My brother's taking advantage. The thing is, is that the birthright meant nothing to him. He did want this blessing. He, with tears, it tells us in in Hebrews, though he sought the blessing with tears, he did not get it because he was a man that wanted nothing to do with God. It's only written that Jacob I have loved, Esau I have hated. It's the only declaration in the scriptures that about these two brothers and it's talking about God could see God, God knew the heart and the plan of Jacob that G, Jacob would re- be responsive Jacob would want to walk with God and he does and he did and he's through his life he's going to build the 12 tribes of Israel and Esau wanted absolutely nothing to do with the birthright or a relationship with God it's always fascinating to me, isn't it? From the same gene pool in the same household. I mentioned this last week, but it's, it is so true. You get four siblings grow up in the same house. Mom and dad love God, take them to church their whole life. And, and those four siblings are like north, south, east, west. They all go different directions. You're like, it's the same environment. We're at the same breakfast table every day. They, we went to the same school. We had the same babysitter. And just the temperament of hearts, the temperament of lives where they go different directions because there's no robots, there's no cookie cutters. And also, the only person that is responsible for your walk with God is you. Once you become an adult, you can blame nobody. You can't blame your parents any longer. I know we have a lot of adult victims of whatever. Don't get me wrong, I, I, I had a really jacked up childhood. And I had to work through a lot of stuff. But the reality is, once I become an adult, I'm responsible for my own choices. I can't do anything about my ancestors, (laughs) but I could give a better life for my kids, my grandkids. I could deliver a better package to them than I received. But even in that reality, they've got to walk with God on their own. Esau does not want to walk with God. And you can cry and you can kick and you can scream you can want to get into heaven. You can want the blessings of God. You can, you can want all the benefits that God has, and you can do it with anguish and tears and yelling and screaming, yet it is sincere faith in God that releases these things from heaven into your life, a relationship with God. Not your whining, not your temper tantrums, not your, your, your thrown a fit. In verse uh, 37 Then Isaac answered and said to Esau, Indeed, I have made him your master, and all his brethren I have given to him as servants. With grain and wine I have sustained him. What shall I do now for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you only one blessing, my father? Bless me, me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept The writer of Hebrews puts that in a context of, you know, how are we going to react in our relationship with God? There's a lot of people that when they realize their destiny eternally, there's going to be a lot of weeping and wailing. About, the Bible says weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gnashing of teeth is just this from the experience of not stepping into the glory of heaven. Jesus uses that phrase over and over, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And here on planet Earth, Esau is the only one that demonstrates the the weeping and the longing for something that is out of his reach because of the decisions that he's made, because the heart that he has. And so Isaac does scrounge up a secondhand blessing, all right, digs around, rummages around in his heart and his soul, comes up with a secondhand blessing, Verse 39, then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother and it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So he says, yeah, okay, I'm going to bless you and your brother is going to rule over you, but there's a time coming in the future where you break off that yoke, and as you bust off that yoke, uh, you'll be free of him. And that's, that's the best he can do for him. Verse 41, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him, and Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, then I will kill my brother Jacob. I'm gonna kill you. Remember, he's the hunter. Remember, he's the man's man. If anybody's gonna kill you, it's gonna be Jacob. Excuse me, it's gonna be Esau. And so he has now murder in his heart. He's lost the birthright. It was his own fault. He's lost the blessing. His mom and brother conspired and deceived to get that done. They didn't need to. God had already promised it. They should have just let it work out in God's timing and there wouldn't have been murder in the household. Isaac is trembling and exceeding, with rage, because he's been basically betrayed. Now Esau has murder in his heart. Jacob is no doubt filled, just stricken with guilt and shame, because he he lied, lied, lied to his dad's face. Now, the comfort is that, well, the days of mourning are at hand for Pop. As soon as he dies, I'm killing Jacob. But his dad's about 130 years of age here. He's gonna live another 50 years. He lives to 180. So it's not, uh, his death is not around the quarter, corner. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a long ways down the road. But if you have a brother that's mad enough to kill you, it's bad news. And if a brother that has the capacity to kill you, and if you've ever wanted to kill somebody in the family, it's a, it's a scary thing. At one time, in our, uh, our family, because of something a family member did, an uncle who had molested my wife and when she was a little girl and all of her cousins, when I found out, I wanted to kill this uncle. Literally, there's was the only person I ever actually, I contemplated murdering him. But I wanted to get away with it because I didn't want to spend time in jail. So I was trying to be creative. But when my wife's mother found out, she actually took a gun to his house and she was gonna blow him away. My father-in-law had connections with the, uh, the dark side and he was gonna have him killed in prison. All three of us were plotting to have this man murdered. But in God's grace, God stepped in and delivered all of us. He delivered me from seeing Tammy being able to forgive him and me being able to say, wow, if Tammy can forgive him, who am I not to let go? I'm just like tortured inside. Tammy's mom, our son was two years of age and she was gonna go kill him but all she could think about was her in prison and her little grandson coming to see grandma in prison and she couldn't do it. She couldn't go through with it. And so she was rescued by Caleb, my son. And my father-in-law was rescued by the guy that was gonna coordinate with the people he knew in prison to basically kill him. He told him, he said, Ron, they will follow this up the food chain who has motives to have him killed. They will arrive at your doorstep. You will be found out. He said, I'll, we'll do it. I'm just telling you, you will be found out. Each one of us were rescued by God's grace away from the scene of murder. You really don't think that you would ever have the capacity for such a thing. Many people think, how could somebody do that? And yet when you're put in a certain circumstance and the people that you care the most about are harmed or in danger or whatever it might be, you have no idea what you're really capable of doing and the capacity to do it. I sincerely believe Esau had the capacity to kill Jacob. But he still, even though he lost the birthright and lost the blessing, he didn't want to fall out of favor with his dad. So he's like, well, i got to let dad die, though, first. You know, I might, I might lose a little bit of the inheritance. So I better let my, my dad pass away. Verse 42, Jacob's got to escape from home. And the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebecca. So she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, Surely your brother Esau comforts himself concerning you by intending to kill you. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to my brother Laban in Haran, and stay with him a few days until your brother's fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you, and he forgets what you have done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? And Rebecca said to Isaac, I am weary of my life because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife of the daughters of Heth, like these who are the daughters of the land, what good will my life be to me? This is a preamble for her setting up, hey, we have to send Jacob away, back to my brother Laban, back to Haran, 450 miles away, to get a wife back there because these ungodly Canaanite wives that um, Esau has, they're idol worshipers, they're uh, just breaking it, the last chapter ends with these daughter-in-laws really breaking Isaac and Rebekah's hearts because of their ungodliness. And she uses this. Cloak or this covering to talk with Esau, like uh, excuse me, Isaac to send back home, but candidly she's telling Jacob, hey, just go back there for a little while, just a few days. Now it's not a few days. She will never see him again. Rebecca's going to die. She will never see Jacob again. She's going to send him away, and we'll look at that uh, next week. But she's going to send him away. She'll never see him again, and that which she felt the need to help God out with, though God could have accomplished a different way, rather than him enjoying all the goodness in the family for the near future, it now sends her favorite away, severs that relationship, she's never gonna see him again. When we take things into our own hands, when God has a plan, the outcome is always painful and does not work out the way that we had hoped. Whatever we sow, we shall reap. When Jacob gets there with Laban, Jacob is thought to be the ultimate manipulator, deceiver, and conniver, but he finds his match when he meets Uncle Laban. He goes to Laban, and Laban gives it to him. I mean, and and it's hard to feel sorry for Jacob because Jacob did this to his dad, and he goes there, and he falls in love, and you'll see in the coming chapters, he falls in love with Rachel, Rachel's gorgeous. She's beautiful. And, and he says, what should I, what do I ha- I don't have a dowry. What can I do, Laban, to marry your daughter? And he goes, well, you work for her for seven years. Imagine, seven years. You can marry her in seven years. Now realize, Jacob is leaving home. Do you think he's a teenager? Do you think he's 20? No, if you do the math backwards, Jacob is in his 70s. He hasn't been married, and he's in his 70s. He's going to live to be 147. So he's got time. He's got time. But he's in his 70s. He goes away from home for the first time. And when he gets there, he falls in love with Rachel. She sweeps. I mean, she just steals his heart. And it says that those seven, he loved her so much that those seven years seemed like a few days, just whoosh. And he goes, all right, man, seven years, goes to Laban. Seven years, been counting the days. This is the wedding night. So they have the wedding. He goes into the tent with Leah. She's got, or excuse me, with his his bride. And he thinks it's Rachel. You know, it's dark in the tent. They make mad, passionate love. They consummate their marriage. And he wakes up in the morning to give sweet Rachel a kiss on the cheek. And it's Leah. He gave the older sister and put her in the tent with him. He comes out in a rage. What do you do? And I worked seven years for Rachel. You gave me. Now, it says that Rachel was beautiful. Behold. And it says that Leah had weak eyes. I... I don't know what that means, but Leah was not a looker. I just want you to know. She was not a looker. He did not fall in love with Leah. And so he fell in love with Rachel. And so he's beside himself. The kind of deception that Jacob had done now he gets manipulated. Now he gets deceived. Now he gets taken advantage of. When he goes to Laban, he says, what have you done to me? And he goes, oh, it's, it's not our custom to marry the younger before we marry the older. We've got we to gotta marry off the older daughter first. And he goes, well, I've been here for seven years. You could have told me anywhere along the line. No, no, no. So he says, well, what am I gonna do now? He goes, well, just finish this marriage week, which they celebrated marriage for seven days. He goes, you celebrate marriage for seven days with Rachel, and at the end of that seven days, or with uh, Leah, at the end of that seven days, then I'll give you Rachel, then you're gonna work another seven years for Leah. 14 years he has to work for these two girls. He only wanted one. Now, each of them get a maidservant, Bilhah and Zilpah. So Rachel and Leah both have maidservants Bilhah and Zilpah, which when they're not having enough babies, they throw them in the mix. And so Jacob's going to have four wives, and that's enough to break your heart right there. It's a challenge, isn't it, husbands and wives, for us to be on the same page with one precious wife in our life. We don't need four. We definitely don't need four. I used to joke with my wife, you know, when you go through the exciting journey of marriage, because guys are kind of like this, just, I'm pretty much the, the same every day of my life. Now, girls are just all over the place. It's like, woo, woo, woo. And it's this incredible ride. You get a ride. I get on the, the hormone ride with my wife every, every single month, right? And it's just like this 10 days of placidness and then one day you wake up and she looks at you and like, what are you doing in my bed? How come you're here? It's like she's got army boots on, right? We call it the hormone terrorists. They show up. Oh, they're here. They came. Al Qaeda's in the room, right? And so we would joke. We'd have this conversation every single month. And she would look and she had to have amnesia every month. She's like, that didn't happen last month. i most certainly it has, and it has for years. This is the way it works. I'd say, honey, I don't need to have four wives because every month, you're four different women every single month. It's exciting. It's thrilling. This is just, you know, I'm living vicariously through your excitement. Because I'm pretty boring. Now, anytime I share this, there is somebody that gets torqued off at me about this. And uh, I've had people, ladies get mad at me, standing with their husband, tell me off. Like... You know, well, we've been married and that never happens. And the husband's back there. <laughs> Rolling his eyes like, you, know, you don't want to talk about that stuff. <laughs> but the, be- I don't know why I went there. It must be Saturday night, something <laughs> went there. Even if you go to Israel today and you see a Bedouin camp, you know how many wives the Bedouins have. They never have more than four wives. So if they have five tents, they have a central tent, and if they have four other tents, they have four wives. So even to this day, in their culture, among the Bedouin people, they're a nomadic people in Israel. You'll see a camp. It's really weird. Here's these tents and Mercedes outside. Right? They actually put goats in the back, you know, back seat of their Mercedes to take to the to the auction or wherever they're gonna take them. It's it's crazy. But Jacob's life now is going to take on this, this turbulence of deception with his father-in-law. It's gonna be a wrestling match. It's a wrestling match by being taken advantage of. First, it's about the wives. Then it's about Jacob tells him he changes his wages 10 different times. If he tells him this is the wage and Jacob prospers, then he changes the wage and then he prospers and he changes, 10 different times he changes his wedding, uh, wages so that at the end he has to take his wives and his children and flee by night to get away from Laban because he's afraid Laban's gonna kill him or do him harm. So he comes with a bunch of men and he thinks that's gonna happen. And so they have this epic argument, father-in-law, son-in-law, and they split their ways. And they say, Mizpah. Have you ever seen a Mizpah necklace? Anybody seen a Mizpah necklace? And it says, the Lord watch between me and thee while we we're apart. And it's from this passage that we'll get to in the book of Genesis. And I remember when my cousin got a mizpah ne- necklace and, he was, and he's like, hey, because he knows I'm a preacher. Hey, look at my, my necklace. You know, it's a Bible verse. And I said, I know it's a Bible verse. If you knew what that Bible verse and story was about, you wouldn't be wearing that nis- mizpah necklace. What do you mean? And so I said, well, I'm not gonna ruin it for you. You're enjoying this necklace and your you know, you're, you're significant other are enjoying it. You guys just enjoy it. No, no, tell me the story. When they said mizpah, It was with animosity and hostility and hatred that Jacob and Laban said, may God watch over me and between me and you when we're apart, may he deal with you if you even get close to me. It's a very hostile thing. You don't want it on your necklace for a loved one. Mizpah. (laughs) So Jacob is gonna get 20 years of rough and tumble turbulence of deception, manipulation, struggle, and difficulty with his future father-in-law. He comes from the turbulence with his own household, with his dad, lying to his dad. So often people are going through life, manipulating people as they go, and you know, what you sow, you do reap. What goes around comes around. So when you move forward in honest, it doesn't mean people won't still try to deceive you or take advantage of you. If you're doing the right thing, we'd live in a fallen world. But I, since that's going to be true in my life, I don't need to add to it with my own deception. I don't need to add to it with my own manipulation. I don't need to help God out and, when I have these promises that I feel like I need to twist and contort and scheme and connive to bring it about, about, as Rebecca did. If God declares it, he can make it happen in a way that honors him. And we don't have to get in a big fat mess because of it. So we're better off just trusting him. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Pray that you would uh, strengthen us tonight as we end our, our passage, as we end this time together in your word. I pray that your Holy Spirit would strengthen us, each one of us. I know that, Lord, for some here tonight, they're, they're in the middle of some family drama. Somebody sideways, somebody took advantage, somebody's lying about something, somebody's Hurt the hearts of the rest of the family. And I pray that you would give us grace to move through those things because they're real and we live them out. And I pray that you would give us the grace to forgive and to walk in love and truth and to get to the other side where there's a fruitfulness and a freedom in our souls. Lord, as we walk with you. So Lord, build us up, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.